And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. But when you present the, the, the suggestion that anyone is saying um, that, that it is time for a new generation and they're running against the person who is president, um, and it, when presented as though it's an attack, I would like to let, let us all be clear that the attack is misplaced. If the point of it is that we need leadership that is strong, because we have a strong leader in Joe Biden. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. Take a minute, check out stewdoesmerch.com. Use the promo code STU10. You'll save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. Maybe drop a comment below. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things that you're supposed to do. Bobby Burak is here to help me figure out why white people suck so much. They're just awful. Have you noticed this? Bernie Sanders has an issue with Nikki Haley's competency test because, you know, he's... 413 years old. But we start by doing the new Axis powers. We're here, boys and girls. We're on a fast track to World War III, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. I know that I am. Joe Biden declares Kiev stands in a surprise visit to Ukraine. Well, congratulations. I hope you get the frequent flyer mileage and are having a great time visiting a, a war zone. Always a dangerous thing for a president. It could erupt into World War III just by showing up. Was the photo op worth it? I'm curious if the photo photo, photo op is actually worth it. Because, you know, look, the, they, I'm sure they back-channeled something to the Russians and said, hey, don't bomb, bomb Kiev while our president's there because that could cause kind of an international incident. So probably things are going to be okay, but it always seems like a bit of a risk and really with no big reward. What's the point? Other than Joe Biden getting his photo op and looking presidential or whatever he's trying to do while he's there, yeah, this could all be done. Just text him. Text text Zelensky, whatever you're trying to do, whatever weird sort of underground business dealing you're trying to secure for your post-presidency or maybe uh, for Hunter's uh, cocaine binges, and, and just uh, do it by text. You know, just, just get it. Do it by Snapchat. Maybe that way people can't track it. I don't know. Um, now, we this whole Biden trip is kind of a prelude to a big speech he's going to be giving. We're on the one-year anniversary of the Ukraine situation, and Biden wants more money for Ukraine, of course. He announced another half billion dollars while he was over there, and it almost seemed like an embarrassment. Like, you don't even make announcements for a half billion dollars. Uh, it's just like a, a rounding error to what we're doing over there, but... Uh, that is going to be coming up this week about uh, Ukraine. Russia is, you know, of course, getting a bit desperate uh, as they are trying to push back against all of this. And because of the economic sanctions and everything we've done with them, they've now turned to China. And now they're buddy buddies with China. Is that a good thing? Let's just say Ukraine does wonderfully here and everything turns out great. The fact that Russia and China are now like uh, bosom buddies is... <laughs> Enough to say this was a bad idea from the beginning, isn't it? Seems that way to me. China is pushing back against this idea. They are saying uh, they are not uh, in alliance with Russia, but it's pretty clear that they are. China hit back on Monday against United States allegations that it may be providing Russia non-lethal military assistance in its war on Ukraine, telling Washington to stay out of its relationship with the Kremlin. They say, quote, the U.S. is not qualified to give orders to China. 
this is from uh, China Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said at a regular news briefing, we will never accept U.S. criticism, even coercion and pressure on China-Russians relations. Wang said China's position on Ukraine can simply be put uh, as promoting peace talks, which isn't true, of course. But also, uh, have you addressed the fact that your name is Wang? Throwing that out there. I don't think there's been any coverage of that whatsoever. And I hope we can get into that as we go on. It's not only China and Russia together. We're also seeing bizarre moves by India. Now, if you remember, India during the Trump administration was like our bestie. They love Donald Trump. Uh, India loves Donald Trump. They like Trump more than a Melania likes Trump. And that's, uh, you know, they're married. So it's significant. That's totally turned around since Joe Biden. No one makes any noise about this at all. I think it's one of the biggest developments that's happened since Joe Biden took president, took his job as president. Um, because, you know, sure, sir, there's other things we talk about, the border and uh, inflation and uh, the, the Ukraine situation and Afghanistan, certainly. But like India was our balance to a developing China. China was sort of our uh, against us. India was sort of with us. And that seems to be fading away a little bit in India. It's a real problem. I mean, just just on the sheer population side, we need somebody with over a billion people on our side. And now we seem to be losing India, India working closer with China. India working closely with Russia. That's that's uh, scary. Now, these are allies of convenience at some level. You know, you, if you're India, you got 1.1 billion people or so. You're trying to keep them fed, trying to keep uh, everybody, as many people as you can, alive. Uh, you are going to maybe your eyes light up at 30 percent off heating oil. Maybe your eyes light up at, you know, 30, 35 percent off uh, rare minerals. This is a, you know, and of course, those a lot of those things are used in products that wind up coming back here, which is really, isn't it ironic? Don't you think? So this is how World War III shapes up, is it, huh? This is how it goes? We just all of a sudden kind of stumble our way into it with a guy who barely can speak? That's how this goes? I thought it was going to be a lot more exciting than that. We didn't even get the big, uh, you know, emperor moment where he's, uh, you know, uh, giving the whole Star Wars speech with all the weird aliens kind of floating around. We didn't even get that. We just get Joe Biden and his alien vice president. That's it. It's kind of a disappointment to me. At least we get some excitement from it. Europe... And U.S. on one side, and and, and are are we sure what's going on here? Where we have the other side with China and Russia as sort of new Axis powers? That's kind of scary. And considering they have a, both of them have large nuclear arsenals. That's the worst case scenario, but they also have tons and tons and tons of people to throw at these things. And I have to, I have to ask the media, we have to go on the the media sort of sidetrack here for just a second. Why is the media not freaked out about all of this? Why is the media essentially just cheerleaders for Ukraine, which is fine in their battle? But like, why? Where's the fear mongering about this? When Soleimani was taken out in Iran, we were told that was going to start World War III. Didn't. When we moved a building to Jerusalem, the embassy to Jerusalem, it's it's a building. And we were told that building maneuver would blow up the entire Middle East and cause World War III. Didn't happen, but we had weeks and weeks and weeks of horror shows to present to you. Now we're in a situation where we're in a proxy war with the second largest nuclear power on Earth. And everyone's like, ah, this is totally fine. Everything's going to work out. Does that make any sense to you at all? 
Does that make any sense to you at all? Doesn't make any sense to me. And I worry, certainly in a big way, that this is going to turn out badly. Now, look, Russia is a bad actor here. I'm not going to hide that. I'm not on Russia's side on this thing. I think Ukraine was invaded and they are uh, trying to defend themselves and they're begging around the world to get as much help as possible. It's probably what you would do if you were the president of Ukraine. Beg and plead and put guilt trips on everybody and hope that somebody would step up and help you. You're against a much larger military, a much more powerful, and even, even though they're not super well-funded, a more well-funded military with much better technology than you. Beg and plead for help. I get that. Do I think that Russia was the aggressor here? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I, I think the Russian uh, Federation is a bad, uh, a bad actor and a, a negative influence on the world. So I'm not, this is not some, some pro-Vladimir Putin's, Putin's speech here. This is a bad actor, and they've done a lot of bad things here. I think they have committed all sorts of crimes in the, uh, in the, uh, in the war here as, as this has gone on. I think they've done all sorts of terrible things to civilians. This is not a pro-Russia speech. But the more and more we do, as we're involved in this thing, the more and more we send in weapons, the more and more we are involved as an obvious proxy uh, war uh, participant, the more likely Russia is going to say, you know what, they're not a proxy war participant. What they are is an active war participant. Why are we fooling ourselves acting like they're not involved in this? They are. And when they is us, I get a little concerned. I don't want to be in a war with Russia or China or anybody else. But particularly, I don't want to be involved with Russia when you have a situation where it's unclear what the motivation for Vladimir Putin is here. He's a guy who is, uh, I don't know, seems a little loopy to me at times. I think in his brain, all of this makes uh, logical sense. I don't think he's uh, completely insane like we've seen you know, some other dictators around the world at times. He has, he has a, a logic to him. It's just logic that doesn't make sense to a lot of us. And he is passionate here. He can't lose. What happens if he loses? He's toast. He can't go back to the Russian people and say, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm entirely built up on these images of me on the back of a horse winning wars. But, you know, we took a little bit of an L there. We'll get him. We got a home and home series coming up. We'll just get the next one. That's not how it works in countries. And you think about this, the biggest fear of mine is that we have people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris managing this situation. Now, if we go back and we go to prime Reagan years, like this happens in 1985, would I be more confident in this effort? The answer to that is yes, I would be more confident. I would be more confident that we could manage this and keep ourselves out of nuclear war. So part of this is just a Biden criticism. I have no faith in him to be able to do anything. I don't have faith in him to be able to, uh, to walk his dog on time. I think a lot of times there's probably piles of poop around the White House because he forgot to take the dog out. That's what I think. So do I want this guy managing an international conflict like this? No. But even if Reagan was involved in this, it would be incredibly risky. Why would we insert ourselves into this in any major way with, a, with the benefits really questionable at this point. Of course, there's plenty of people on both sides of the aisle that want to escalate this further. We know Biden wants to do it. 
We know everybody on the left who have been pro-war for as long as I can remember all of a sudden are gung-ho about this thing. And of course, they have their typical allies when it comes to um, international expansion, if you will, uh, from people like Lindsey Graham on the right. Here is Lindsey Graham uh, this weekend uh, talking uh, about what we should do next when it comes with, to Ukraine. I want to congratulate the administration for flowing the weapons oh, in that we've asked for. Glad you're a senator. The next thing they need is fighter jets. Oh, OK. Great. You can't do combined arms operations without an Air Force. The MiG-29 is obsolete. So it's just a matter of time that we'll be thinking about a modern Air Force for Ukraine. And we want to deter future invasions. So we would urge the administration and all of our allies to start the training process now for advanced fighter jets for Ukraine, not only to evict Russia, but to deter future in, in invasions. Mm, there you go. Republican senator from Vermont, uh, Lindsey. Oh, he's not from Vermont. That's the best we can do in South, South Carolina, is it? That's the best we can do? This guy? This guy who's been a disaster from day one? He's been one of the worst senators in the Senate since the beginning? That's, I, yeah, oh, well, he once said something nice about Donald Trump. I don't care. I don't care. The fact that he occasionally defended a guy that you like is not a reason to have him in the Senate. He sucks and he should go. Please make that a priority. I beg of you. I've, I've begged for this ever since I've been doing this show and the show before it. Please get Lindsey Graham out of office. He sucks. Now, why do you need jets? You have a good air defense already. They've been able to piece together a pretty solid air defense in Ukraine. Why would you need jets? You need jets to go into Russian territory and take out supply lines, fuel supplies, uh, uh, military installations, etc. Now, look, that is a valid, valid thing for Ukraine to be doing. To stop Russia, you have to do it. You have to get in there and you have to take out all of these, these places. They're staging troops and supplies before they come. Or it'll just be a nonstop. They'll just keep throwing people at this thing till the end of time. You have to be able to get out ahead of it. I understand that. But think about this. What he's advocating is for us to give planes to, to carry out operations inside Russian borders. How is Russia going to take that? Are they going to take it positively? Are they going to say, you know what? It's OK. We've done a lot of bad things. And the fact that the you know, U.S. is involved here isn't that big of a deal, is it? I doubt that's the way this goes, especially with a guy who's going to be fighting for his life and presidency, presidency, um, dictatorship after this goes awry, if it were to go awry. And you just look at how this is going. Remember, at the beginning of this, it was just good feelings. It was good feelings for Ukraine. Let's go through this progression here, if we could, for a second. This started with, like, Twitter hashtags. And we were like, okay, we can put hashtag Ukraine. Put, put the blue flag in your Twitter profile. Now, you'll notice I never did that. But a lot of people did, and a lot of people did with good intentions. Ukraine, I do really believe, is the, is the victim of a, a horrific attack on their country. That shouldn't happen. And Russia deserves crap for it. But then we went from Twitter hashtags. Then we sent in, of course, Sean Penn and Angelina Jolie, I, I think. I mean, we all sorts of humanitarian support, right? Then uh, the money started flowing. And, okay, lots of dollars going that way. And we're all like, okay, well, we, you know, some money. Sure, you want to send some money to help out the people who are being attacked in Ukraine? Fine, I guess that's okay. As a society, we said that. And then we were like, well, that's really not enough. We need to send some weapons and some, uh, some, some training, 
we can help them out on the military side. And you start thinking, well, wait a minute. Now we're not just helping the people who are victims here. We're helping them hopefully win this war. And I don't know if I were on the other side of this, how would I view that? Probably not so positively. Then we were like, well, we'll never send missiles, though. That won't happen. And then, you know, we sent missiles. Okay, so then the missiles are there. And that's kind of a problem. Now we're really sending, um, we're sending, we're sending payloads to Ukraine that are killing Russian citizens, Russian soldiers. Now, Russian soldiers deserve a lot of the fate they're getting. They did something incredibly wrong here. But again, as you think of you running a country, if you are saying a third party is sending weapons to kill our boys in war, how would you feel about that? Probably not so good. But we said, you know, well, the one thing we're going to draw lines. And I remember it was uh, Biden who said he's going to draw the lines at, you know, it's an escalation if we if we start bringing in tanks and uh, in planes and trains. And I don't know what the war train is. I mean, I think it's a pretty cool idea. I mean, maybe that's what we were testing in East Palestine. I don't know. But uh, we didn't send in any war trains, but we did send in tanks. At least they've been now uh, agreed to go forward. So now tanks are underway to Ukraine. And we've also, and this is another one that doesn't get a lot of press, the targeting that we're doing. You know, we are helping Ukrainian military officials and soldiers target specifically Russian soldiers to be hit with the missiles we're giving them, with the arms that we're giving them. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but that's not us just giving training and letting them do it, which is, you know, again, a tough line to cross, I think, if you're on the other side of a war. But, like, we're actually actively saying, fire them here. Let me help you. Use this technology to fire here. Use this technology to fire here. That's an escalation, right? And now, all of that's already done, by the way. We should point out, all of that progression is already done. The next step is fighter jets. Now, you saw, you heard Lindsey Graham talking about this. And this one's now the next step. As he said, we will eventually get there. He's not saying it's not going to happen. He's not even complaining about it because he knows eventually we're going to do it. At least according to Lindsey Graham. And he's been right so far on every other part of this escalation. What happens after that? They don't really know how to use these planes yet. We'd have to train them and all of that. The next step on this, and, I, and we have not crossed this yet, but it's, it's not that far away, are American pilots in these planes. American pilots patrolling Ukrainian skies. This crosses the line into our active participation in this war. This is not a proxy war anymore. Our guys are actually involved. And then, of course, the only step past that, it boots on the ground. Right. Like we, we, we've got soldiers there. We we're firing missiles. Uh, boots on the ground kind of encompasses not just the actual boots on the ground, but actually attacking Russian positions. And that is not that far away. Are you confident on that? And that doesn't even include all the other stuff that we haven't even talked about. This is Joe Biden just the other day talking about another thing that we're doing, apparently, for you deliver much needed humanitarian assistance okay. as well as food, water, okay. medicine, water, shelter, sure. no other aid to Ukrainians displaced by Russia's war. Like what? And provide aid for those seeking refuge in other countries okay, from Ukraine. From Ukraine. <clears throat> it's also going to help schools and hospitals open. Hospitals, fine. It's going to allow pensions and social support to be paid to the Ukrainian people so they have something, wait, something wait. in their pocket. Wait a minute, what? It's also going to provide oh. critical resources wait, to wait. address food shortages around the globe. Wait, hold on. Around... First of all, around the globe, I thought this was a Ukraine situation. But did he say pensions? We can't even fa- we can't even fund our pensions here. 
we're going we're paying for Ukrainian pensions now. Is that real? Apparently so. Now, one of the problems with this, of course, is the stuff we've done so far hasn't worked. Story in the New York Times talking about the first year into war. One year into war, Putin is crafting the Russia he craves. I want to give you this quote. This is from a, a, a Putin opponent in, in, uh, inside of Russia, who, who somehow is still alive, talking about what's going on inside of Russia since all the Western um, sanctions came into effect. At the same time, he argued, daily life has changed little for Russians without a family member fighting in Ukraine, which has hidden or assuaged all or excuse me, some of the costs of the war. Western officials estimate that at least 200,000 Russians have been killed or wounded in Ukraine, a far more serious toll than most analysts had predicted when the war began. Yet the economy has suffered much less than analysts predicted, with Western sanctions having failed to drastically reduce average Russians' quality of life, even as many Western brands departed. One of the scariest observations, I think, is that for the most part, nothing has changed for people. This is from this uh, opponent of Putin. This tragedy, he says, gets pushed to the periphery. And he talks about how restaurants and concerts and and these kids going on dates and all the things that normally go on in society continue to go on because so far this stuff hasn't worked all that well. David French, who I mean, some people on the right honestly have developed a a passion against that I, I can't comprehend, I, you know. But yeah, I don't agree with him on a lot of this stuff, but he's interesting to read. But I, I, I ask a question in this essay he has for the New York Times. Uh, he says America can't go wobbly on Ukraine. Uh, quick question, what's the limiting principle of this? What is the limiting principle? It's a question you should be asking almost every day in the society right now. Quick question, what's the limiting principle? Here's what he says. On the war's anniversary, it's time for a concerted effort to persuade Americans of a single idea. We should support Ukraine as much as it takes, as long as it takes, until a Russian military suffers a decisive, unmistakable defeat. What's the limiting principle of that? The only limiting principle is a Russian defeat. How many people are we throwing at this? How much money? It's too much. We can't have an open-ended checkbook to the country of Ukraine. We have to do something different. And I don't think, you know, just abandoning it and letting Russia roll over them is a good idea either. What do you do? I do think that now's the time to give Ukraine a reasonable timeline privately for funding. Tell them to pursue an end to the war, even if it means a result they don't love, if it means giving up some territory. Now, if they want to pursue every inch of Crimea, they are welcome and completely justified in doing so. It was stolen from them. This war is completely illegal and unfair. And I believe if I were Ukrainian, it's probably what I would want. Screw these guys. I'm going for every single inch of our territory. That is totally defensible from the Ukrainian side. But I will say this. As far as our involvement goes in here, I'm not Ukrainian. Our support is tied to what is best for America and an unending war with unending cost to quibble over a few square miles of Ukrainian territory. I'm sorry, that does not rise to that level for us. I have to tell you about my new favorite way to save upside. In fact, I just saved with upside today. Yes, I was at the gas station and I was like, you know what? 
Well, I checked the upside app, see if I can get some money off of this gas. And guess what? Of course, it was there. It was available at the gas station I happened to be at. Of course, you know, a lot of times I forget to, to check to see which one I should go to, but it happened to be, finally, uh, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit of an idiot. Okay, sometimes I actually remember. Uh, but all you have to do is get started and, and download the free Upside app. You can use the promo code STU, and you can get an extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. An extra 25 cents. You know what gas costs these days. Biden's bragging about it, how it came down uh, from like $5 to $4. Well, whoopee. But why not make it come down a quarter more than wherever it is today with Upside? Uh, next, you can claim an offer on whatever you're buying on Upside. They have more than just gas. It's, it's you know restaurants and all sorts of stuff. And all you have to do is tie it to your credit card or debit card, follow the steps in the app, and you will get paid. And it's not, you know, really, like, annoying where you have to be like, I have a card. If you would just, if I could just fill out some paperwork for you so I can get my money back on Upside, it's just, like, automatic once you get the thing set up. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code STU to get an extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. An extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas just by going to the Upside app and using the promo code STU. It's the Upside app promo code STU. All right, let's bring in Bobby Burak. He's a columnist for OutKick. He wrote a great column on uh, the Tyree Nichols situation recently. And Bobby, you know, it's fascinating. Your column came out and uh, it was a big story, uh, Tyree Nichols. And it seems like, I don't know why, what the reason could be, but the Tyree Nichols story has really evaporated from the front pages. Um, there is an effort here to, to keep this going by saying a black cop or a bunch of black cops killing a black man is still racism, but that seems to be the only thing they're hanging their hats on now. Yeah, first of all, I appreciate you having me on, Stu. Um, the Tyree Nichols story, like almost any story that's an atrocity or tragedy, it stays in the news as long as it's advantageous for news outlets to keep it in the news. Um, as time waned, I think people started to realize, at least hopefully they did, I I think I laid it out pretty well in my column that the whole narrative around this, that it was white supremacy proof that white supremacy plagues police forces across the nation, even if the police are not white, really was a sham. There was no proof that it was racially motivated or that the police were black, white nationalists, whatever that means. I heard that phrase on CNN. But the point of my column was, is that we kept hearing in the aftermath of the body cam footage that that is proof of white supremacy, that even though five black cops killed him, it still was in the name of racism. And I started to dive into what racial tensions lead to, who benefits from racial hysteria. And Stu, it seems quite clear to me that Tyree Nichols' death was not proof that white supremacy exists across the nation on a macro level. It proves that there's a need to keep racial tensions inflamed across the country. Political leaders benefit mightily from racial tensions. Democrats ran in 2020 on the racial reckoning, saying that Republicans are not doing enough. And what happened to George Floyd is racist and it's the fault of Republicans. You have media members, whether it be Joy Reid, Jamel Hill, Don Lemon, sometimes Chris Cuomo, their entire shtick is often based on the idea that white nationalists are coming to haunt people and coming to kill people. Al Sharpton, this one character on Twitter, I get a kick out of him. His name is Bishop Talbert Swan. His entire career and finances are based on going to tragic events and convincing people that racism causes. So there is such a demand to uncover racial hysteria and racism in America, but the supply is just not there. there there's no proof of it, Stu. I mean, look, there's always going to be racism on a micro level by virtue of bad individual actors, but on a macro level, 
I don't see it. I don't see racism in the police force. I certainly don't see it in corporate America when all the initiatives are actually to hold back white people in the name of equity. So this is a lie that has been propagated by media, Hollywood, sports, entertainment, and the Tyree Nichols situation was no different. It's, it's really fascinating. I love what you said about how there's this more supply or more demand than there is supply. I mean, that, and that's a wonderful thing. The fact that, right. you know, Americans aren't super racist and they aren't continually thinking about this stuff all the time is great. Though I do think the left and academia are trying to reverse that. They want more of this stuff out there. And I, I keep you know, I, I keep seeing like, um, you know, of course, you get these viral TikToks and you get these commentators right. who are talking about this stuff. And they often say like they talk about, uh, you know, white people sit around all day and just look and obsess about how to keep black bodies in the ground and all these weird statements. It's like I got news for you. And this I don't know what this says about me, but like I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about skin color. I don't. I don't spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about uh, black people as a separate from regular white people, regular Hispanic people, regular Asian people, regular black people. They're all just sort of regular people to me. And I think that's the way I thought that's what we were shooting for. But that has all been exploded lately. But Stu, and what you just said is that would make you a racist in the mind of the left, because if you look at what the term anti-racist has come to mean, they say just not being racist is not enough. You need to be an anti-racist, which means you have to actively seek and see skin color at every stop and tell people you're white, you must Terrible. atone for the past, you're black, you're a victim. What I find so frightening is, is that the push, I mean, first of all, the left has staked their entire claim to the culture war on the hypothesis that white supremacy plagues America. That is their entire claim to it. Everything they do is rooted in that idea. Now, there's been some wiggle room now because the trans issues are starting to really, the left is really starting to hammer those and say, you're transphobic. But by and large, 80 to 90% of their fights are about racism. So their idea is the opposite of creating a colored blind society. They want to racialize society to their benefit because that is their best form of messaging because still, despite all the unjust and baseless claims, people are still afraid to get called a racist. Even despite any evidence, if somebody labels you a racist, that can haunt you, cost you your job, and cost you your standing. So that word still carries immense power despite being proven. It doesn't really mean that much anymore because the people given the label are not honest brokers. Yeah, who's obsessed with who? I don't even understand anymore because they're constantly saying that, you know, white people sit around and plot against black people. I just... Uh, not my experience. I, I, I don't know. Um, let me sh shift over to the NFL here where we've had yeah. uh, more claims of racism that have popped up. Um, this one is, you know, we've had a couple of them. First, the Houston's coaching situation where somehow he, the Houston Texans for hiring three consecutive black coaches are racist, which is uh, the most, again, absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. And then there's a situation with Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs uh, offensive coordinator. By all reports, a, a very good offensive coordinator. Obviously, the Chiefs have been very good. However, there's a complicating situation with the Chiefs where you got Andy Reid, who's an all-time great offensive mind, and you have Patrick Mahomes, who's an all-time great quarterback. So the offensive coordinator just doesn't get the credit normally that an offensive coordinator would get, especially because Bieniemy does not call plays. He has now decided, he, after missing out on a bunch of uh, head coaching jobs, he's now decided to leave and go to the Washington Commanders and become their offensive coordinator with 
no quarterback and a complete catastrophe of an organization. This just strikes me as a terrible idea for Bienemy's career. What do you think? Well, yeah, this is a pretty complex issue, and you laid out some of the um, what's going on here. But I mean, basically, the backstory is people say it's racist that Eric Bieniemy is not a head coach in the National Football League. They say because he's black that teams don't want to hire him, that racist white owners are dismissing him. But what I've argued for years, and the point you made is that Bieniemy is an offensive coordinator for the best offense in the NFL, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. However, he coaches under Andy Reid, who calls the plays. So that means his role as an offensive coordinator is diminished compared to other offensive coordinators. For example, if you coach under Bill Belichick in New England and you're the offensive coordinator, well, you call the plays. It's your offense because Belichick is a defensive coach. But because Reed is an offensive coach, the enemy does not call plays. He does not set formations. He's pretty much an assistant. So his resume, despite contributing to a very successful team on the individual level, it leaves something to be desired. So by him moving to Washington under a defensive coach and Ron Rivera, he's going to be able to call plays and run his own offense, which will be able to show people, hey, here's what I can do as a potential head coach. So I take that to mean the enemy agrees with me, and that is that he's not not a head coach because he's black, but because he was coaching under an offensive genius and Andy Reid. And what bugs me is Jake Tapper from CNN did a segment last week pretty much saying that racism is the reason he's not a head coach. But but Biennemi's own actions suggest he believes he's not a head coach because of the coach he coached under. Yeah, and like, look, I think there's a real, I mean, like Doug Peterson did leave that same situation to get a, a head coaching job uh, first with the Eagles. Uh, of course, Super Bowl 52 champions, just throwing that right. out there. Um, but like, you know, so it can happen. And I think honestly, the the right move for Biennemi's career would be to just to stay there and play this out. Eventually, maybe either Reed retires or he's going to get one of these jobs eventually. But still, it's like now going to Washington, which is not a good situation. It definitely right. makes me makes me worry uh, because if he's not an offensive genius, if he's not the best offensive coordinator in, in America, this just seems like it's he's set up for major disappointment and he may never get a shot. That's a little, uh, I mean, more on the sports side of things, but it's just like it really is just fascinating. I, I will say this. Um, you mentioned uh, Jake Tapper saying this. We know Don Lemon has done a lot of these types of segments as well where he blames kind of race for everything. And he's now in a, a lot of hot water for his comments last week. Do we think is Don Lemon coming back? Because my understanding was Friday was a legitimate day off. Like he had a pre-planned day off. They had talked about it on the air previously, but he was off the air again today. And the reporting on his future is not all that positive. Yeah, Stu, I want to apologize to the esteemed Stu Does America viewers, because last time I was on here, I declared Joy Reid the dumbest person on TV. (laughs) Don Lemon has usurped her. So I want to lay this out in simple terms. See, you can only get fired in media essentially for three things, getting called a racist, getting called a bigot, or, or, or getting called a sexist. Well, Don Lemon, as a gay black man, can't really be called a racist. He can't be called a homophobic or a bigot. The one thing that could ruin his career is getting called a sexist. And with his comments last week, he pretty much opened the door for people to call him a sexist. So the only way Chris Lick, CEO of CNN, is going to fire a gay black man and inherit all the backlash that comes with it is if he can use the one card that Mm. can usurp that, which is the sexism card. So Don Lemon could have had 
20 more years at CNN if he could have just avoided that one label, but he was too dumb. He made that smirky comment about women in their prime. Now, all of a sudden, the left and the right are calling him a sexist, and that makes it much easier to fire a guy that I believe Chris Lick wanted to fire early on, but backstage politics and skin color and sexual orientation made it just too tough. That's really an interesting way of looking at it because he went from primetime to the morning show and he was trying to promote this as a, as a, as a promotion. Right. Obviously, that was ridiculous uh, as he was going to a show with three people. But the leaks from inside of CNN have all been right down that road, right? Sexism. He's fighting with Caitlin Collins. He's fighting with Poppy Harlow. He's, he's yelling at female assistants. All these things have come out in the media. Uh, maybe they're just greasing the wheels here to get him out. And this is going to give them finally their opportunity to do so. Well, remember, when Chris Lick took over CNN, the leaks that came out of CNN said he wanted to fire five partisan voices because they hurt the reputation of CNN. It was Brian Stelter, Jeffrey Tubin, John Harwood, Don Lemon, and Jim Acosta. What happened? The three white guys were booted. Don Lemon, the black man, was demoted. And Jim Acosta let everybody know over the past few months that he's technically Hispanic and he got to keep his job. I don't believe in coincidences, Stu. It seems pretty obvious to me. Lick had five people he wanted to get out, but he was able to fire the white dudes first because, well, that's easy. No one's going to complain about that. But you fire Don Lemon, the Jamel Hills, the MSNBC, the Slates of the world. They'll be coming for Chris Lick hard. Mm, Bobby Burak, a columnist for Outkick. Make sure to check out all of his work on uh, social media. We'll, sh- we'll uh, tweet a link to uh, his Tyree Nichols column, which is one, if you haven't read yet, you really should read. Uh, Bobby, thanks so much for coming on the program. Stu, appreciate it. Congrats on all the success. You know, as Bobby was just saying, uh, you know, Don Lemon had really only one weakness. He couldn't he couldn't say something sexist. He was a black guy. He could say he could say, he can't be called racist. So he could just the worry is that he could become sexist. That's why you need to be Whoopi Goldberg. And you can say kind of basically the same thing, but get in no trouble for it whatsoever. It's time for a new generation of leadership. You're not a new generation. You're 51. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Compared to D.C., that's a new generation. Well, but it's, but it's not a new generation. She may be she may be younger than most of those people, but her, her rhetoric is the same. I mean, this is first of all, just technically speaking, when you're when the leadership of both parties is 80, then, yes, 51 is a new generation. We should also point out you're constitutionally limited to actually run for this job until you're 35. So uh, she's only been eligible for 16 years. Uh, she's got a long, long time that she could go. I mean, like the new generation thing, you might not think that's enough of a reason to elect her, but it's a completely legitimate line of argument for Nikki Haley to make. Hey, I've got good policies, but I'm a new generation. I'm, no, I'm not 80. Uh, that's, uh, it's a bit different. She's what? I guess she'd be Generation X. Is that right? I don't know. I can't keep track of the generations thing. But anyway, um, that's uh, what we're talking about. By the way, Nikki Haley is also in trouble from Bernie Sanders because uh, Bernie Sanders said he he's he's saying this is ageism. You know, people are only talking about him because he's like older than all of them, I think. What's he, 100? What's Bernie Sanders, 100? Can we look that up? With inflation, I think he's 100. Anyway, uh, he's upset at Nikki Haley for saying um, he should get a competency test because obviously, like, at no point in Bernie Sanders' life could he pass a competency test. When he was 33, he couldn't pass a competency test. So he certainly can't do it at 106 or whatever he is now. Uh, that's a big problem. But I will say it is a bit ageist because we should be giving competency tests to everybody, every politician. 
Lori Lightfoot is not 80. You think she'd pass a competency test? No way. By the way, she may lose. Uh, she's, they're looking at a, um, a big primary situation where nine people are on the ballot. This is, looks like it's going to go to a runoff, and she could actually lose. It's amazing, though, to think that she could actually win. I mean, Lori Lightfoot has been a nonstop series of catastrophes since the moment she walked into office, and she still has a chance to win? How is that possible? It's absolutely crazy, but not as crazy as this story. <laughs> you remember our friend, the Canadian teacher, with her 96 double Q breasts that she was... Now, of course, I should point out, it's not actually a woman, it's a dude. He's wearing prosthetic breasts to school as his job as a shop teacher, which is really bad for the influence on children, but worse because he's so close to bandsaws. Just throwing that out there. Um, she, he... I don't know. Well, it's really hard to understand because uh, the New York Post has uh, pictures now of the the Canadian teacher with when he's dressed as a man, which apparently he's dressing like at home. He's only wearing the 96 double Q breasts to school. (laughs) And it makes me think, is this guy a conservative troll? If he is, he's my favorite person. I mean, it's just incredible. I don't know. He's saying that. No, these are actually real breasts. Uh, but then he's not wearing them around town, just strolling around town with his normal man boobs, which he has because he's overweight, but they're not 96 double Q. Okay, it's hard. You got to eat a lot to get to 96 double Q or whatever these things are. So anyway, that's your 96 double Q breast update. Do you have too much money? Are you looking for a way to light it on fire without all the environmental problems? Let me introduce you, Meta Verification. Yes, you can now be verified on Facebook. Woo! Paying $11.99 a month to $14.99 a month. And for that, you'll get a check mark and probably maybe something else, question mark? It really is uh, fascinating. Now everyone's going to this model uh, where Twitter, Twitter did this, Snapchat did it as well, where you can pay really for questionable benefits, but I guess it makes you a little cooler. Not exactly sure. I will say, um, did you know, I mean, we talk a lot about Twitter on the show and Elon Musk, and it's always dominating the conversation, but I will say, at times that feels completely absurd. You know who makes more ad revenue than Twitter? Yahoo. Yeah, everyone thinks Yahoo shut down like six years ago. It's making more money than Twitter. Let that settle in for a second before you sign up for Meta Verified. Take a second and review the podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in. Stu does something. Stu, you're the man. I don't care what Glenn says. You know what? I don't care what Glenn says either, and he pays me. So uh, go to YouTube as well. You can uh, put an algorithmic engagement comment below and it helps the show quite a bit when you do so. James says, uh, this is from our AI episode last week. There are a lot of people who would fall in love with the chat bot if it hits, it hit its identity. I met this girl online the other day. She's wonderful. Oh, no. Don't. Uh, Hamfield, which is a great name, says, good. Terminator, Terminator style apocalypse is the best one. I'll gladly abandon my humanity for our robotic overlords. Stephen asks, does the AI 
have its own pronouns? I do. It's a good question. I don't know. Hell with surviving AI. Let's make sure we survive Biden. Then we will reconvene. Great point as it tied to our monologue today. And Dave asked, when KJP screws up enough, Don Lemon could be the new press secretary. And I think you could put KJP on as a host at CNN and everybody, no one will even notice the world has changed. We'll see you tomorrow.